Our scripture lesson this morning is from the Gospel of Mark. This year we have started a new liturgical year in December. With uh, the liturgical year comes a new gospel that's the focus for the year. And this year Mark's gospel is one that we will hear from throughout the year. And this is an interesting text, though, because it comes from Mark chapter 10, so toward the end of Mark's gospel and toward the end of Jesus' ministry. So listen now for God's word to us this day from Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ooh. 
riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is God in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day for your mercy and for your love and for your care. We ask your blessing upon us in this time as we reflect on your word. Amen. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more stronger than darkness. New every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. The writers of this song that Tommy and the choir sang for us found inspiration for these words in the writings of John Newton. Newton was a slave ship owner in the 1700s who later became an abolitionist. You're familiar with his most well-known work, Amazing Grace. In about 1760, this is what he wrote. Are you not amazed sometimes that you should have so much as a hope that poor and needy as you are, the Lord thinketh of you? But let not all you feel discourage you. For if our physician is almighty, our disease cannot be desperate. And if he casts none out that come to him, why should you fear? Our sins are many, but his mercies are more. Our sins are great, but his righteousness is greater. We are weak, but he is power. Most of our complaints are owing to unbelief and the remainder of a legal spirit, and these evils are not removed in a day. These words of John Newton, written more than 250 years ago, tell what appears to be a story of transformation, a continued transformation and a faith that transforms. A transformation from a place of a blinded disbelief, a place of an inability to see God for all of who God is, and an inability to allow ourselves to be transformed by this God. 
a transformation and a journey that is ongoing. All these evils, Newton writes, are not removed in a day. This is a very real declaration of the journey of faith, a declaration of the journey, a confession, a testament that depends less on our ability to find belief and more on God's mercy and on God's grace. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. I've mentioned to some of you that this morning's gospel text is one of my favorites, and I get made fun of sometimes for having too many favorite texts. But I think the translation, perhaps, of that word favorite is more that this is one of those texts that gives me a glimpse at who God is in a way that is easier, perhaps, or clearer for me to see and understand. This is one of those most important, to me, glimpses into God's interaction, God's encounter with humanity. So I guess it comes as no surprise that I would choose one of these favorite texts as we start this new chapter of our journey together. This text, as I mentioned, is, is right toward the end of Jesus' ministry. In fact, it's just before Jesus and his disciples will go from Jericho into Jerusalem. The very next section is the Palm Sunday reading. So this is really that last scene in Mark's Gospel before the events of Holy Week. But up to this point, and you're going to see this this year with Mark's gospel, Mark has been unfolding, revealing a little bit more each way along the way of who Jesus is. Not unlike Newton's phrase, his journey, where he, where he says that, that it doesn't happen essentially overnight, right? And not unlike our own journeys, our own journeys where we have to see it, we have to experience it. Mark is teaching by showing. The very first verse of Mark's gospel says that it is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he comes right out with it at the beginning, and then throughout Mark's gospel, the writer seeks to introduce Jesus to us. And he does that by introducing Jesus through interactions with people. People in many ways like us. People who have needs. People who are uneasy. People who are anxious. People who are lost people who are successful, people who are thoughtful, people who can't ever seem to get a break, people who are sick and well, rich and poor, and most of all, though, recurring throughout, people with questions, people struggling through life, through life's challenges. And again, these challenges they experience are remarkably similar to yours, mine. And so in the midst of these interactions, these encounters with Jesus, we see different reactions, different responses. But what becomes clear is that the presence of Jesus in the lives of people is a presence that is intended not only to bring them to faith, but to transform them, to bring about change in them, and to bring about change in them so that they might bring the good news into the world. And so we reach our gospel text this morning, where Mark introduces us to a man who is known as the blind beggar Bartimaeus. 
The blind beggar Bartimaeus is doing what we'd expect him to do when we meet him, when we know that that is his moniker, right? He is being blind, obviously, and he's in the street, and he's begging, and his name is Bartimaeus. This means that he's the son of Timaeus. That's what the bar prefix means. But it's notable here that he has a name. Bartimaeus isn't someone we'll see anywhere else in the Bible. And most of the time when Jesus heals someone, their name isn't shared. In fact, when Matthew and Luke wrote their Gospels, likely utilizing Mark's Gospel as a source, they dropped the name completely. And so here is this man. He's there in the street begging. He is presumably an expert at asking for what he wants, right? That's what a beggar does. He spends his whole day doing just that. And he'd also have been keenly aware of his surroundings, knowing who was coming and going and when they would come and go so that he could know how and when to ask for what he needed. He would know who would be receptive, right, and who wouldn't. He would know when there was a stranger coming. And so here come Jesus and his disciples. They're passing through Jericho and on their way through the town. And there is a large crowd. And most assuredly sensing the commotion of Jesus and his crowd, the gospel tells us that Bartimaeus hears among the, the murmur of the crowd that it's Jesus of Nazareth. Now remember, this is late in the ministry, and so by this time, word of, has gotten around. Word of this man and his miracles has come through the land. And so Bartimaeus, bold as ever, shouts to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those around him, likely used to his begging, probably embarrassed, used to his shouting, they try to silence him. But unrelentingly, he continues, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears these cries from the man. And our text says that in all of this commotion, Jesus stood still. And he told the crowd to bring the man to him. So Bartimaeus jumps up, he throws off his cloak, and goes to Jesus. And Jesus looks at Bartimaeus and says, what do you want? I love this part of the story. Who asks a beggar what they want? A beggar knows exactly what they want, and they have no problem telling everyone what they want. But Bartimaeus, though, somehow recognizes that Jesus can give him far more than the coins he usually begs for. And he simply looks at Jesus and says, Rabbi, teacher, let me see again. In that instant, Jesus, in one motion, breaks Bartimaeus from his bondage of blindness and releases the beggar of any obligation to him. Jesus says, go. Go. Your faith has made you well. Go, be on your way. You don't owe me anything. Go. You're healed. Go. Forgiven. Go. But he doesn't leave. Instead of leaving, did you catch what happens there at the end of the text? Bartimaeus follows Jesus. 
And friends, I want to know what happens next. What happens next? Because we don't hear again from the blind beggar Bartimaeus in the gospel. What happens next for this man who encountered Jesus in such a transforming and direct way? Our story of Bartimaeus isn't like a cliffhanger at the end of a television episode where we'll get the rest of the story, right, in the next episode or the next season. It's not like that at all. It's like the end of a series where we're left to imagine the next scene, a scene which we'll never see. Did you ever watch The Sopranos? I love The Sopranos. I built up to the last episode of that TV show, waiting to find out the end of that story. And if anyone remembers, I'm probably giving away too much. We don't know anything that happened at the end. It left me feeling so unsatisfied and yet perhaps curious, and I still talk with people about that. But that's how I feel with this text. I want to know. There are no more episodes, friends, in the Bartimaeus show. What happens next? Now we know what happens next for Jesus and for his disciples. We know that Jesus will soon be betrayed, arrested, tortured, convicted, killed. We know that his disciples will flee. They'll scatter. We know that women will tend to Jesus' body and be the first to learn of his resurrection. We know that the resurrected Jesus will return to his disciples and send them out to the world. But what about this man? This man who was so transformed by Jesus that two-thirds of his alliterated name no longer fits him. He isn't the blind beggar Bartimaeus anymore. He's now the bold believer Bartimaeus, who's been healed and set free after his encounter with Jesus. Go, your faith has made you well. But we know he didn't go. He followed Jesus, and we get to imagine get to imagine the rest of the story. Friends, how would we be transformed? How would you be transformed if you encountered Jesus like the bold believer Bartimaeus? What would it look like for you to be so fully and wholly impacted by Jesus that your life would be lived in a way that reflected what Jesus had done for you? What would it look like for us to be transformed by God's grace, allowing God to take hold of us, to take hold of us and work with, in, and through us? What would it look like for us to be so overcome with joy that freed from the bondage of those things that drag us down, we could spring up, look into the eyes of Jesus, and answer that question, what do you want me to do for you? We would answer that question with an invitation for God to shower us with God's mercy. The transformation of the blind beggar Bartimaeus into the bold believer Bartimaeus was the direct result of Christ seeing this man, hearing this man, hearing this man who, despite the efforts of the crowd to keep him away, despite the world telling him that he wasn't worthy of God's attention and much less God's grace, despite all of the doubts that he may have had about his own self-worth, despite the voices in his head and the voices all around him that told him that he was beyond the reach of grace, despite all this, 
He boldly sought the presence of God. Driven by faith, a faith that seemed somehow to even elude the disciples who still weren't quite comprehending who Jesus was. Driven by a faith, and perhaps even just a little bit of faith, the kind of faith that certainly isn't certainty, but the kind of faith upon which we're willing to take a little bit of risk. See, driven by faith, Bartimaeus shouted out to Jesus. He shouted above all those other voices. He shouted when he was told to be quiet. He shouted. He knew what he wanted, and he shouted. He would not be silenced, and he shouted. On the cross, God did for us what he did for Bartimaeus. He changed the rules. He conquered death. He declared us free from the bondage of sin. But you see, one of the great mysteries of living in Christ is the confusing reality that while God redeemed the world at the empty tomb, our lives are still complicated by the pains of sorrow, death, misunderstanding, broken relationships, sickness, anxiety, depression, grief, the list goes on. But Christ's resurrection power, Christ's healing power, is the power to transform us into people who can experience God more deeply in our own lives. When we allow ourselves to encounter Christ, even in the midst of all that we carry, all of the challenges, all of the difficulties, all of those things that make us feel like we are alone, we can turn to Christ and allow Christ to be with us in the midst of it all. And in doing so, we, we answer God's question. Christ's question to Bartimaeus, what do you want? What do you want? And friends, this transformation, this transformation is ongoing. Ongoing like, like Newton writes that, that it doesn't fully happen in a day. It's one step at a time on this journey, this journey on which we live with others. And, and friends, we have this opportunity together to live out the what's next of Bartimaeus's life, right? To, to be transformed like the blind beggar Bartimaeus and then to have the choice to be like that bold believer Bartimaeus and follow the Christ. To get up and go and follow the Christ. And in all of this, it is Christ who is doing the work and that is mercy. That is what mercy is. This is what it means to allow Jesus to work in us. This is what it means to be a church. This is what it means for us together as we share in ministry with one another here at Pinnacle. Brother Jeffrey Tristan puts this journey this way. He says, it's Jesus who will change us, not we ourselves. It's the work of grace. Our work is to deepen our relationship with Jesus so that we can allow him mysteriously and wonderfully to change us. To allow Christ to mysteriously and wonderfully change us. To allow Christ in his mercy and through his grace to change us alongside one another. I do think often about that bold believer, Bartimaeus, and what happened to him after he followed Jesus, presumably to Jerusalem, 
and maybe to the foot of the cross, and hopefully to the empty tomb. I think about what happened to that crowd, that crowd that initially kept him away, that tried to silence him. That crowd had to have been transformed as well, right? They saw the faith and the boldness of this one that they had rejected, the one they had tried to keep away from Jesus, and seeing him healed must have transformed them too. Like so many others who encountered Jesus in Scripture, I wonder if these people, having been transformed, I wonder, I wonder if they struggled to understand what it meant to live in this world still experiencing their own struggles, but drawing near to God in the midst of it. I wonder if they began telling their story to others, if they were surrounded by others sharing their stories of encounters of God's mercy, sharing their struggles and sharing glimpses of God, their moments where faith became a little more clear. And I wonder if they had others to encourage and others to be encouraged by. I wonder how they praised God even in the midst of their struggles and uncertainties. I wonder how they continued to reach out to God. I wonder how they continued to hear that question from God, what do you want me to do for you? I wonder. And as much as I wonder about it, I know that this is precisely who we are. We are as a church, and who we are to be as fellows on the journey with one another. There's an interesting thing about that name, Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus. It's a strange word, Timaeus. In Aramaic, the cultural language of the time of Jesus, the word means unclean. And in a terribly sad reality of the first century culture, blindness and other disabilities were sometimes seen as a sign of being unclean or having been born of sin. But Timaeus, that same word that means unclean in Aramaic, in Greek, another language of that time, means highly prized. Friends, we follow a God who looks at us even when the world around us may see the unclean. We follow a God who looks at you and says you are highly prized. You are worthy of my grace. You are worthy of my mercy. You are worthy of my love. No longer called unclean. No more. No longer. You are highly prized. Just as you are. May we be transformed by that radical love of the one who is worthy of our praise. And friends, may we be a church that brings this message to those that the world has called unclean. May we share together in this ministry at Pinnacle as fellows on the journey, pointing one another to God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's transformation. 
May we be ones who see others as highly prized the way that God sees them as highly prized. May we laugh together, cry together, tell our stories together, share our loss together. May we ever remind one another. And may we remind all who come in these doors and all whom we encounter in the world, may we continue to remind one another that you follow a God, this God, this Jesus, who calls you highly prized. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.